Before we begin, please note that this podcast is intended for mature audiences. I am not a doctor or a therapist, and nothing I say should take the place of a relationship with a qualified medical or mental health professional. Take care. Hello, and welcome to Resting Scared. My name is Mary, as always, and thanks for being here. This is the podcast where we talk about health challenges and health anxiety and mental health in general. So, how's it going? How are you? Um, I did go rock climbing, and it was so fun and also so hard. (laughs) Um, Today I'm very sore. I did it two days ago, and yesterday I was very sore. Um, I think I either pulled a muscle or tweaked something in my like shoulder slash back area, but I can't wait to go back. Um, so there's like top roping and bouldering and top roping in particular, I'm like really into, I found it really exhilarating did not enjoy bouldering. Um, I don't think I'll be doing that again. I think that's just okay that I didn't like that. Um, but top roping is like what you think of when you think of, um, rock climbing where there's like the rope that you kind of like use to get down. Um, and it's like tied to your waist on like a harness. Um, yeah, super fun. Um, really good workout. Um, yeah. And I definitely think that rock climbing is a really great lesson in like being in conversation with your body and kind of having to listen to it because if you don't listen to it, it can be dangerous. Like, you know, I think that could also be part of why I hurt I hurt myself is because I would on the bouldering in particular, I would like get up higher, like high for me, and then I would panic and I wouldn't be able to get down. And so the I would just hold on for like dear life until my muscles were like not having it. And I would just have to just kind of like drop. Um, and I think that's like, that's more dangerous than it needs to be. And I could have listened to my body. And after that, I was listening to my body a lot more. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's really great for that. And I, I'm, I'm at a place in my life now where I can try to do things with my body and I don't have to be amazing at it. Um, I can just enjoy it or not enjoy it. And if I don't enjoy it, I don't have to do it again. And if I do enjoy it, I don't have to be amazing at it. Um, I don't know. I've always been, I mean, ever since I was in like middle school, I've been like very hesitant to do any sort of athletic thing that involved any sort of like bodily (laughs) grace or like you know whatever because I'm not good at these things I'm not good at gymnastics I'm not good at dancing you know even though I was like a theater and dance major I really like I like dance and I like dance theory but I'm not good at it um but there's something I don't know there's something cool about being at a place in my life where I can just do things and I don't have to be amazing at it and I can just enjoy it for what it is. Um, so yeah. 
And I don't know, I also just love stuff like this because there really is something to be said for just like kind of throwing your body around in a way that I really wouldn't otherwise do and to kind of accept and embrace this element of danger and then to be really excited when it more or less goes fine and you're like okay at the end um yeah I don't know and maybe that's like kind of (laughs) an ill-advised way to look at it but I don't know it's really doing something for me and I'm excited to keep doing more Okay, so today is July 11th, which, dude, the summer's already going by so fast, I can't even, but okay, today is July 11th, and guess what happened 10 years ago today? Just guess. That's right, Orange is the New Black started streaming on Netflix. Can you even believe that that show is 10 years old? It doesn't seem possible, like time time you know it's wild um but i loved that show and i also love how all of those actors like so many of them were also on law and order especially law and order svu um yeah i feel like both of those shows are basically rites of passage for new york film actors or actors in general um my favorite character by far was Pusey, followed by Alex and Tasty and Red. And Piper's like, I don't know, probably like 15th on the list. But anyway, yeah, that show is 10 years old. And now that theme song will probably be stuck in my head for the rest of the day, which really is not so bad. Okay, so here we go. Last week, I talked about pain, what it is, and how it works, and what happens in our body when we experience pain. Um, And now I want to talk about different ways to manage pain and look at different approaches and kind of see what it means to put them all together. Uh, So yeah, if you haven't listened to the episode on what is pain, I definitely recommend going to listen to that first and then coming right back here. (laughs) Um, So I'm really interested in this biopsychosocial approach to pain. Um, I've been getting into it lately and I just thought I would do a deep dive. So here we go. Um, Let's start by breaking down the words biopsychosocial. Let's start with bio. We already kind of covered this in the last episode, but the bio part of the word has to do with the injury or illness itself. Think of tissue damage, nerve damage, immune function, but also things like pain tolerance, pain threshold, and symptoms that may arise from an issue like nausea, vomiting, etc. Now, this is what a lot of us who are, you know, using Western medicine are familiar with when it comes to pain management. 
So I'm going to use IBS as my example during this episode because it's probably the easiest way for me to explain it all. But of course, this really can be applied to most anything that ails you in a chronic way. Um, So with IBS, you will likely have stomach cramps, nausea, diarrhea, constipation, and you'll go to a doctor and a doctor will say, here, take this medication for nausea. Take this, you know, anti-diarrheal. Take this diuretic for constipation. Um, And then something for cramps and send you on your way. Um, Your doctor may even suggest a new diet to help with your symptoms. So that would be them employing the biological method. Now, the psycho part of the word is referring to a psychological approach. So this is addressing how pain affects us mentally. Um, If you're someone with a chronic pain condition or chronic illness in general, I imagine that you are familiar with the pain stress cycle. Um, Using IBS again, you start to feel sick, you get a stomach ache, and now you're nervous and scared and stressed and worried that you aren't going to make it to the toilet on time, worried that you will feel sick for the rest of the day slash week, Um, worrying that this is only going to get worse and not better and fear that you're only going to get permanently sicker. And this is catastrophizing. And all of this stress and emotional buildup just makes your stomach hurt worse and makes your urgency worse. And as soon as you get into that vicious pain stress cycle, you almost forget like which came first. Um, I struggle with this currently more with my lichen sclerosis than with IBS at this point because stress does exacerbate chronic pain conditions. We know this already. So to help manage the psychological aspects of chronic pain, Um, or chronic illness, you may try things to calm down your nervous system or stimulate your vagus nerve and remind your body that you are safe in the current moment, in the current environment. There is not immediate danger. There is no fire to be put out. Hey, throwback. Um, I use a self-hypnosis app to help me with this, um, as well as other guided meditation. Um, and I've also started using like bilateral stimulation where I'll tap my desk with, you know, my, op- with ha- my hands, like one right after the other. Um, and I do this when I'm in a situation where I can't meditate or be under any sort of hypnosis. And so, you know, with IBS, your doctor might give you all of this medication for your cramps and your nausea, et cetera, and then also say, hey, maybe try doing um, some meditation to calm yourself down or calm down your vagus nerve. And that would be them giving a biopsycho approach. <laughs> hey, what a perfect segue into a check-in. So, how's your body right now? Are you clenching somewhere? Holding something that can be released? Your jaw, your shoulders, your belly? Take a deep breath, and when you exhale, see whatever it is that you're holding. Let go. And the last part of the word is social. 
And this part is very important and probably, I would guess, the least or lesser considered aspect of the biopsychosocial approach. I mean, I haven't read that anywhere, but it feels true. (laughs) So social is referring to things like gender roles, race and ethnicity, healthcare provider bias and discrimination, economic situation. Um, And it's also referring to things like work support um, and social support from your community and at home and your access to activities of daily living. I really do think that this social part is key and something that we need to focus on more as like a society. (laughs) I mean, I know we are obsessed with individualism and a me, me, me mentality, but like the other two aspects are hard for average people to have control over. You cannot control the fact that your loved one or coworker has IBS, for example, and is experiencing frequent diarrhea. And you cannot control how your loved one or coworker feels about their IBS, um, how much anxiety it gives them, etc. You cannot control that. But maybe we can have some control over how we interact with that person by letting them know that you see and support them or by helping them see the humor in their situation or find the lightness or by being aware of their dietary restrictions or for the workplace by allowing them to work from home with true flexibility as needed and trust that they know what is best for their body and what will help them contribute the most to the workplace. And for doctors or providers, this would also look like taking women's pain seriously, treating black patients with the same respect and care that you would white patients by checking your potential unconscious biases in these areas. And this isn't meant to put the onus of the problem on other people or make anyone feel personally responsible for someone else's medical problems, right? This is more of a call to recognize the social impact of chronic conditions, chronic pain conditions, and to just kind of think about how we can better support the people around us. So in putting it all together, you get the biopsychosocial model of managing pain, managing chronic pain. Um, when we view pain as a dynamic interaction between like the body, mind, and society, we really can open up the patient, the person, to so many other possibilities of feeling better. And there are also strong arguments about this approach being generally way more cost-effective, like on a national level, but I'm not really going to go into that because I am truly anything before I am an economist. <laughs> Um, Ideally, in my opinion, you would have access to providers that meet your needs in all of these areas, but of course, the reality is that won't always be the case. But these elements can be employed in different ways. So going with the IBS example again, if your doctor is, say, attempting to manage your pain only with medication, 
you may try meditation uh, or hypnosis, downloading an app and trying to make sure you do it regularly. Or you might try researching GIs in your area um, that have a good track record with bedside manner and taking pain seriously. Or maybe asking your friends and family what you need from them, asking them to keep your diet in mind, or telling your boss what you need from work in order to be the best employee you can. And yeah, you must frame it in their interest when it comes to work. Anyway. I don't know. I hate that the social aspect seems to be the hardest to obtain because you can't stop people um, and you definitely can't stop doctors from having their biases. They're going to be sexist and racist and yeah, it's going to affect patient outcomes. It shouldn't take so much effort on the sick person's part to navigate the social part. But here we are. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, what is the purpose of pain management? Why do we bother with it at all for chronic conditions? It's because people's quality of life matters. It affects their will to live. And that matters. Because as humans... We generally don't like to know about the suffering of other people, so wouldn't it be better if the suffering of sick people could just be reduced altogether? Anyway, that's my pitch for the biopsychosocial approach to pain management. I did not really intend to make it a pitch, but it just kind of it kind of happened because I guess that's how I feel, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Okay, so I'm going to continue this little chronic pain series that I'm working on. Uh, and next week, I'm going to talk about the pain scale. You know, that cute thing where doctors ask you about your pain on a scale of 1 to 10 um, and why we use it and how it is and is not helpful. Um, and who knows, maybe it can give you some language or context to use the next time you're asked that question. I hope in general you're finding this pain talk useful or at least interesting. <laughs> Let me know. Don't forget you can email me at restingscared at gmail.com or call 202-342-6427. Do it. You won't. Um, okay. That is it for today. I hope you have a great week and are surrounding yourself with people who stimulate your nervous system in a good way and don't send you into survival mode. That's the goal, right? Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye.